politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow patriotic American citizens to the one and only Conservative Review podcast. You might be treated like subjects by our government, but you are still patriotic citizens here at Blaze Media. It is Tuesday. We're back in the house. Um, If you haven't heard Monday's show, please take a listen. Dr. Scott Jensen, really eye-opening. It was literally as the show was being published when he talked about how how he has been censored and investigated for speaking the truth about the virus. Right then, a whole group of really respected patriotic doctors came to Washington yesterday to hold a summit, hold press conferences, to give a second opinion. And guess what? Their video got 15 million people. Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube took it down. What are they scared of? Why is it that the other side is scared of a debate? Right? Don't we want to see the efficacy, measure the benchmarks, the metrics? Don't we want to see this? I'll answer your question with what I believe is the most important article out there on the web this week, if not this entire ordeal. And it's not from a right-wing publication. It is from Yahoo News. Yahoo News had this up. Even if there's a coronavirus vaccine next year, don't expect to throw away your mask and stop social distancing, a top vaccine developer says. You see, folks, I um, yesterday I published an article warning people about the new normal. Warning people about how when you have something that is never rooted in data, in science, certainly not in God and faith, and in tried and tested ways of treatment, tried and tested strategies, guess what? There's no floor to it because it's not coming from science. The same reason I'm going to have an article out today about the 100,000 criminals released under the guise of not spreading the virus when in fact it turns out that there's actually a lower fatality rate in prisons. We've said this often, prisons are actually a perfect example of what would happen if it spreads to everyone who it could spread, because it will. Not many people die. Guess what? There's no end to it. So what I said yesterday, literally hours before this came out, I called a shot, and I said, folks, it is the most insane thing in the world to say for a respiratory virus, we are going to sit and abuse our children, wear masks, whatever you do, wherever you go, shut down your lives, upend our emotional health and everything for a respiratory virus that really, if you look in the macro sense of excess deaths and years of life lost, are really not much more than a lot of other pandemic flus we've had recently, much less like 1957 and 1968, which they did nothing about. It was barely in the news. You know, roughly 240,000 people died if you adjust for population growth. In 1957, the Asian flu. Ask your parents. Ask your, I mean, if you're old enough yourself to have been a child during the time. Do you remember it? Ask yourself. Ask your friends, relatives, parents. I've done the same. So that's insane to say, I'm going to wait until there's a vaccine. But guess what? 
the same way the goalposts got moved to, oh, we have to flatten the curve for 15 days so we don't rush the hospitals. Oh, actually, we have to wait until it kind of stops spreading. Well, actually, we have to wait until there's a vaccine. I warned and I said that even if there is a vaccine, they're going to still continue this. Because once the threshold for doing this is this low, you're always going to have some degree of it, right? Meaning, if we were wrong, and this was like the way they're treating it, like Ebola, like smallpox. So then if you have something like a flu vaccine type of thing, which is, let's just say, half effective, so that's that's significant, okay? That's a big change. But if you have something to begin with, that is so rare, it really is. How many of you know someone who has died from it? How many famous people in this country have died? I don't say that to say that famous people are more important. I say that just to demonstrate that the degree of severity that we have treated it, based on that you would expect to know more people that have died, which again demonstrates that a lot of this it's not a matter of excess deaths. It's a matter of excess deaths, which is not as much as you think. But guess what? If you have a flu-like vaccine, even if you have it, so you go from, you know, having kind of a pandemic flu to having a, a, a vaccine with a pandemic flu, which it probably reduces some of it. But again, you know, estimates are 80,000 people died just two years ago in the in the pandemic flu that no one remembered. And like I've said, that if we actually tested that and coded deaths and obsessed about it the way we do this, I'm sure it would have been well over 100,000 based on this type of counting. So guess what? Yahoo News. Simply having a coronavirus vaccine may not let us get back to normal immediately, a top vaccine developer told Business Insider. Even if some people receive a safe and effective vaccine next year, that doesn't mean people will be able to stop wearing masks and social distancing. Maria Elena Botazzi, a vaccine developer at Baylor College of Medicine, said in a recent interview, quote, they automatically are going to say, oh, great, I'm just going to get my little vaccine and I can go back to doing exactly the things I was doing last year. This is absolutely not true. A vaccine won't be a magic solution for the pandemic. The moment you get a vaccine doesn't mean you're going to put your mask in the trash, she said. That is not going to happen. I hope people don't think that this is going to be a magic solution for all. So even the companies are now coming out. So all these people like, I, I know people like that. Um, I, I'm like, dude, like, what? what how, how do you? How are you going to do this? Like, this is not normal. Like, well, this is going to be a vaccine. Like, are, are you sure of that? Like, what in 20 years? And what efficacy? And when has it ever worked for an ever changing respiratory virus like the flu, where it's very hard to really? I mean, you could maybe knock off some of the death ratio, but you're going to have it. And and again, the threshold now is not like, oh my gosh, you know, we as a society. You know, we didn't want Lombardi and New York City dynamic everywhere. Okay, you didn't you didn't want that. But it didn't happen. Right? And that that's not what's happening in the Sunbelt states now. But no, now we're saying you have cases, cases asymptomatic. 
with all of the false positives with the PCR tests, a lot of them you wonder if they even are asymptomatic or they have nothing or if, if we have time, we'll get into this other coronaviruses that are colds. There's evidence of that from British Columbia in 2003 where there were false positives on SARS where it was really um, HCOV-43, OC43, which is one of the coronaviruses. So if that's the new threshold, guess what? That ain't going to change with some magical vaccine. So my question to you is, if you're one of those that's just going to sit down, oh, I'm going to die. It's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like saying, I'm going to lock down until Muhammad comes. You know, it is utterly insane. It is dangerous. It will get people killed. It will destroy immune systems. It doesn't make sense on any level. Any level. Because again, this is not about saving lives. This is about control. This is a moral hazard. If you don't take back that control at a county level and start rebelling against this, it will not come to you. You will never get that freedom back. They are acculturating you to it. And the more they do that, and, and and then you could only imagine, like, here's the thing. If this is the threshold, like, to say, I get to control your life. You have no right to personal bodily integrity now. Well, why can't I start talking about obesity and say, you know, we have to have a calorie meter in your home. I don't have it readily in front of me. I'm sure if you Google it, you'll find we probably spend trillions of dollars as a nation on healthcare, Medicare, Medicaid. Um, I mean, look, obesity is the 800 pound grill in the room. No pun intended. Um, and, and again, look, I'm not, I'm not making fun out of people. And some people, you know, we, we do have a cultural problem, but some people do have certain medical conditions. Um, sometimes the obesity causes that, but sometimes certain genetics causes the obesity. But my point is that that is the big deal here. I mean, that is the big thing. So what's to say, like, I mean, it's none of your, it's not just your business. It affects me. It uses up all the medical care. You're flooding the hospitals. And look, this comes full circle because really, I mean, one of the biggest, biggest things spoke to an ER doctor and he said, look, every person you saw with a serious case, they were obese. We got to do everything we can. COVID, COVID, COVID. So are we going to start monitoring your food intake? I mean, there is no limit to what can be done once you breach the firewalls of personal individual liberty. There's no limit to that. I want you guys to understand this. I want you guys to draw a line in the sand and not be cooked up like the, boil- like the frog in the boiling water. Because that's what's happening. The goalposts get moved and moved. I was actually impressed that they published this and admitted this publicly. I thought they would wait a little bit and then start moving the goalposts. So you're forewarned. If you think this is just going to go away, it's not. It's not. Because even among us optimists, what it means is we're going to break the back of it, which we really have already, the lethality of it. So you'll have de facto partial herd immunity in most places. But in some places, it will kind of linger to a certain degree. 
You could always say, I found a case. I found a case. And, and just the opposite, the more it dies down, the more I found a case will send chills up your spine. So let's say, you know, well, what it does seem like is happening if you look at Florida, Arizona, California, Texas, certainly the, the cases have waned. You know, the, the deaths will lag a little bit. The hospitalizations have tailed off. And, and it makes sense. That's what it does. It has like a four to six week curve. I mean, no matter what you do, Every time it has nothing to do with your input. This this is what the 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 pattern we have seen in every state and every country. If it comes, it comes. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But when it comes, that's how it comes. So it's going to die down. My prediction is the latter part of the summer, the end of the summer, should probably be pretty good. Kind of like it was in May. But I'm just saying, there's nothing. Even if it doesn't get back to that level. It is very likely in a country this large, you know, you could burn it out in a smaller country quickly, but I mean, a country this large and we have this much travel and everything and we're going to continuously bring in people from other parts of the world, which that can never get shut down, of course, you're going to bring it in. So they will always have that pretext until there's a vaccine. Oh, whoops, no, actually, even if there is a vaccine. So that's the most important warning I could give to you today. wanted to get into some other important news just to give over a little bit what we talked about the last couple of shows about the beauty of God's immunological ecosystem, how he created almost like a food chain, starting from babies to young kids to parents of kids, gradually exposing us to colds, fevers, different pathogens that builds up our immune system. But God structures it in a way that it's done when we are younger, when the way he made the immune system is that it fires on all, all cylinders. The younger you are, it's, it's, it's very aggressive. Um, you know, just a baby itself is a whole nother beauty of just the vaginal birth that in itself seems to give a lot of immunity. Um, so you have the cord blood, but you also have just the, the actual birthing process is unbelievable. So, you know, because remember... Um, kids don't, you can't say a one-day-old baby gets um, a coronavirus, that they didn't have a chance to get one. Yet, there's no evidence that they are more at risk than, say, a seven, eight-year-old kid. In fact, if anything, even less so, the younger you are. And it's not that there haven't been newborn babies that have been found with it. When they tested because the mother had it, you know, there's been a lot of pregnant women. I mean, you come in, it's a very common thing to come into the hospital with. A lot of them, you know, a lot of people have it, have it asymptomatically. So that's part of the beauty of that. And then, you know, once that wears off, that's when you start developing this. And what is happening now is this is what happens when you overstate the the threat assessment of a virus. And you, especially with kids and the craziness and shutting schools or have them open, but you can't play together. You have to wear a mask all day. You have to do this. You have to do that. And it's like you are ruining God's ecosystem that actually made it. If you would open your eyes, the the reality, it's created this reality that kids are basically immune. And immune is, is is a loaded term. Doesn't mean you can't contract it. But it's, they don't get serious symptoms from it. 
unless there's something wrong, there's always exceptions to a rule, precisely because they get colds a lot and they play together and they catch things and they catch fevers. And that's a good thing. You know, throughout the Bible, rain is used as the paradigm of something that, you know, we reject God's goodness. And, and, and it's, it's God's goodness is through the rain. Rain is very annoying and we complain about it a lot. But boy, oh boy, could we not live without it? Similar thing, like, I'm always, like, cursing under my breath. Man, why do these kids get these colds? Because I do a lot of talking, a lot of radio, a lot of speeches, and it's annoying to have a sore throat and be, be stuffed up. And I'm like, darn, why did I have to drink from his cup and whatever? And now, the more I study this, I'm like, oh, my gosh, wow. That is the beauty of, the, of God's system. We are now foreclosing on kids from getting the very stuff that made this virus and other similar viruses so benign. And then by the next extension, we're preventing parents of children from, through osmosis, receiving that degree of immunity. And then by extension... We are foreclosing on achieving herd immunity as quickly as Sweden did so that actually you wind up shielding the older people or the sicker people so they don't have to, A, be hanging out at risk longer than necessary and B, the terrible risk of atrophy that they're saying they're going to lock down seniors until there's a vaccine, and then even then now we see they're, I mean, this could be indefinite. They're going to get Alzheimer's. They're going to atrophy. It's a horrible, horrible thing. Sweden didn't have a single death. Not one death. It's a small country relative, but it's not a tiny country. Not a single reported death today. They just came out with earnings, quarter two earnings from a lot of their companies, better than any country in the world. And that's not just money. That's lives. There's a formula for how many lives that are lost per percent of GDP lost. I mean, this is this is consistent throughout history. Stress, heart attacks, suicides, drug overdoses, divorce. So let, let, let's put this all together. And the beauty is it all ties back into SARS-1 and other research. This is nothing new. So a group of immunologists and medical researchers, they published a pre-printed study in, um, is out of London. And they showed that roughly 60% of blood samples from children who never had SARS-CoV-2 had antibodies from other coronaviruses that were cross-reactive in a lab to SARS-CoV-2. I'm not talking about the T-cells. I'm talking about a more robust um, humoral antibody response. They only found that in 6% of adults, which which makes sense. But as we've noted, more than 50% of adults have some level of T-cell cross-immunity. That's because kids get it more often. They've gotten these coronavirus colds more recently, plus just the way their immune system works. It's a beautiful discovery of God's grace in this. Wow. And what comes out is that, you know, that explains why kids get even less symptomatically than adults do. 
but now by turning kids into bubble babies, by overstating the threat of this virus to them by a factor of a thousand, we're ensuring that a generation of kids will be shielded from some of the more mild forms of coronaviruses that they get typically over time that are responsible for why they are not under threat from this virus. So we're treating them as if they are. I mean, I've never seen more circular, dangerous logic. Again, God has natural order of things, but sometimes you have a really extenuating circumstance and you have to intervene. Antibiotics, you have to, and God, you have permission to do that. But you only do that when the threat warrants it. Because otherwise, there's always collateral damage from screwing with nature. We are forestalling herd immunity. This is the problem with the entire philosophy of locking down all people, sick and healthy, symptomatic and asymptomatic at once. And by the way, there's so much more literature on it that that if asymptomatic do transmit, it is really not that common. It's not responsible for the mass transmission we're seeing. Again, don't don't quote me on saying it doesn't transmit. A study from China didn't find any transmission. Now, now a study out of Italy, they found 3%. So they agitated in the lab, what was it, 120 um, mild pathogens, whatever, however they did that, 3% transmitted. I think in Singapore, they did a study even on pre-symptomatic, and they found it was only responsible for 6% of the community spread. You think pre-symptomatic for sure, and again, it does transmit, but... It, it, it doesn't warrant this, and you're not you're not going to stop it anyway. That that's the irony. But what you're doing is you're ruining it. Look at Sweden. Look at Sweden. As the authors of the study conclude, quote, public health measures intended to prevent the spread of SARS-CoV-2 will also prevent the spread of and consequently maintenance of herd immunity to common cold coronaviruses, particularly in children. It is therefore imperative that any effect, positive or negative, of pre-existing HCOV elicited immunity on the natural course of SARS-CoV-2 infected is fully delineated. We need to study that. God has given you a key and you're throwing it away for idolatry that doesn't work for this cult of mask wearing. You're messing with God's natural design when fewer kids are dying from this than from, from the flu. Not only will endless distancing of children playing together harm kids, harm their immune systems, harm their emotional well-being. That's a huge underestimated problem. But it forecloses on the best shot of achieving herd immunity in the macro with the lowest risk population, thereby shielding the more vulnerable. Imagine how many other viruses will now percolate longer in society and endanger the vulnerable because we've tampered with God's intelligent immunological ecosystem and we prevented kids from passing it around. It's amazing. I'm at that stage of life where our baby is now three and a half months old and that's where they could start somewhat using their hands, at least with gross motor skills, 
and it's like hand to mouth, hand to mouth. And it's, it's disgusting. I mean, you ever have, you know, young kids, you get faced like, you know, a mixture of the mouth discharge and the nose discharge. And then they're like, you know, when they get tired, they rub their eyes a lot. So they, they like, they face your shirt. So often I'll have like a white shirt on with a tie to, you know, get ready to do TV or something and it'll totally get nailed. I was like, it's disgusting. They're always doing that. They always are congested in some way. There's a reason for that. Have we lost ourselves? It's like even in religious communities now, they're more secular than the average American was in, in previous generations. They understood you can't stop this stuff. They understood there's death in the world. You do reasonable things. But when you do, but but God doesn't require you to do insane things. And indeed, when you do them, you don't wind up stopping the thing. And the collateral damage is enormous, not just on ancillary health and well-being and financial issues, but actually on viruses themselves. Let me take this a step further. In any ecosystem, you have the bottom of the food chain. If children are the antecedent to this food chain, okay, of transmitting common colds, What's the next level on that totem pole? Well, parents and teachers who are around young children. See, they're all saying they're scared of teachers. But actually, there's a study out of Germany, a biomedical study, that they surveyed about 4,000 people, and they divided into two groups. And they had people, parents of young children, very much like in their 30s and 40s, but it included teachers as well. And they found a direct correlation with lower ICU rates, meaning less severe cases among that group of people. And they, they controlled for age, gender, health status, BMI distribution, right? So you could say, oh, well, maybe this group had, you know, fatter people or, you know, people with diabetes. So they controlled for that. And again, I'm not going to be like like the left is doing where they have non-clinical outcome trials. They have just like random kind of like correlation stuff. I'm not going to run with this as a conclusion. It's a hypothesis. But based on everything else we're saying, it's a very good hypothesis that these parents get it, let's say, almost as often as the kids do, more so than single adults in their 30s or maybe adults in their 50s, 60s, 70s who have gone longer without having young kids in the house and they don't get it as often, there seems to be that partial cross-immunity. Again, you could get it, but the problem is not getting it. The problem is you don't want dangerous symptoms. Okay, that, that's what you don't want. We want to keep this at the flu or less. It, it, it's truly a fascinating thing to study. And, and, and they actually talk about how you would conclusively study this. These are the type of things we need to be doing. Because like, oh, the teachers, the teachers. You're actually going to harm the teachers just like you're harming the kids. But, but, but folks, there, there's a very subliminal thought here. A very profound but subtle thought I want you guys to think about. In many ways, this exemplifies liberalism 
in the macro. They do this on every issue. They point to a thing they don't like in God's world. Well, there's a poor person here. There's something wrong here. There's something there. And we all understand that this is not the Garden of Eden. Paradise is in the next world for a reason. But God has a pretty darn good world. He gives us challenges for obvious reasons. So we could grow in life, our spirituality, overcome adversity. Some people get it worse than others. Why some people do than others, that's the vexing question that we'll find out in the next world. But fundamentally, for most people, we don't just die of everything. The system works. Again, that's why you don't treat the healthy like the sick. Those with good immune systems, like the immunocompromised, thereby making everyone immunocompromised. And you don't, you don't help those people. What's the line I've been giving you guys on healthcare spending for years? You, you have to isolate and limit the problem of pre-existing conditions. You don't make everyone like that and then make healthcare expensive for everyone. Not only is it unfair to everyone, that is how you better treat with a stronger system and more efficient resources those that have chronic health issues. We talk about this on fiscal issues, on education all the time. Like, education is too expensive. It should be free. So what we've done is we've, we've, we've grown our level of subsidies, which, by the way, the Republicans have in their stupid bill all this loan forgiveness, by 500% since the early 80s. Guess what? Education, tuition, inflation has grown by about the same 500%. Under the guise of promising paradise, they saddle us with a living hell. That's what you do when you distort markets, when you distort healthcare, education, the natural order of things that as Adam Smith talked about. You get a man-made problem, which is even worse. King David to God, or to, to Nathan the prophet, to, to, um, to Ged the prophet, I'm sorry. I'd rather fall in the hands of God because his mercy is great and not fall in the hands of man. God offered him an invasion as punishment, an invasion of his enemy, or a three-day plague. And he chose the plague. Very interesting because a plague comes from God directly. It's amazing how when you study the Bible and then you study the heck out of what is going on now, the science jives with that. No matter what we do, it sure seems like it just doesn't matter. It does what it does. You know, something like Ebola is a more rare transmission but very deadly So there's an easier way to quarantine and isolate that and work with that. Not something that spreads like the flu. But I want to take this one final step. This cross immunity that we're seeing between SARS-2 and the common cold, we've already known about this with SARS-1. So many different things. Hong Kong researchers found in 2003, interestingly enough, 
kids rarely got sick and kids didn't transmit. Isn't that interesting? Why? Because they likely got other coronaviruses that mitigated the more serious SARS and then gave them a lower viral load. So along with the lower viral load that doesn't harm them, it doesn't allow them to really transmit in a meaningful way. You know what else is similar? Researchers out of the University of British Columbia Center for Disease Control in 2006 published a study based on what happened in 2003. Canada got SARS worse than America did back then. And they had a bunch of these nursing home deaths. And I and I, I forgot, I, I read the study very briefly, but how they suspected that they were misidentifying um, what they died from, and it wasn't really SARS. And they found that a number of the deaths was HCOV OC43. Okay, that's what is believed to be the most common of the four coronavirus common colds. And... They found, so there's a couple of interesting things from here. First of all, the testing, the swabs that indicated SARS was really the common cold coronavirus. So there's a lot of talk about these false positives going on. You you wonder how much of it is coronavirus colds. Now, it could be other things too. I'm not, I'm just, I'm just posing that question based on what we saw with the testing from SARS-1. And they found two striking things they concluded from the nursing home outbreak. Number one was the cross-reactivity from these other coronaviruses to SARS that conflated the testing. So again, they saw the cross-reactivity from SARS-1, which now, 17 years later, Singapore researchers proved in a lab. They took old blood samples from SARS patients, and they found them cross-reactive with SARS-2, other coronavirus colds cross-reactive with SARS-1, um, other coronaviruses cross-reacted with SARS-2, and the whole mixture. It's a family. Isn't it funny how this virus is not so novel after all? Every virus has its differences, but it's funny how they seem to, you know, we've already seen cross-reactivity with other coronaviruses. Kids don't really get sick from it. Kids don't transmit. Isn't it kind of interesting? Imagine if we didn't have social media like we didn't have back then. But the other thing they found, and this is a direct quote, University of British Columbia, the virulence of human COVID OC43 in elderly populations. Notice that old people in a nursing home, they essentially died from what we called the the cold. What if I went around every year and said, how many people died of HCOV OC43, a.k.a. the common cold coronavirus, and I, and I tested everyone for it, and I created a dashboard? What it shows you is there's nothing new under the sun. We've been dealing with coronaviruses for a while, and they are dangerous, including the cold ones, to immunodeficient people. But healthy people tend to be partially immune. Again, that explains uh, the amelioration of symptoms. And most children appear to be nearly fully immune. 
precisely because these other coronaviruses exist. Indeed, because in the past, we weren't stupid enough to use that reality. Oh my gosh, there's old people dying of coronaviruses as a pretext to create bubble boys out of our children because of common colds. That's ironically, thank God, why COVID-19 turns out to be pretty much a cold or less for the overwhelming majority of the population. It's complicated how this estimate came here, but you know this brilliant guy on Twitter, Ethical Skeptic, he's estimated we are about at the 50 million, close to the 50 million marker. 50 million people have gotten this. So that explains for why the deaths really are very rare, and most of them are within a very short period of time from dying. You know, I saw this um, analysis, really good analysis, from Michael Levitt, the Nobel Prize winning Stanford scientist in chemistry. And this is in Wales. This is not in America, but it's a similar, I bet, a similar thing you could find. They found a massive drop-off last month in basic deaths. So they took the five-year average of dementia deaths, heart disease deaths, um, cerebrovascular diseases, um, lower respiratory diseases, fluid pneumonia, by the way, all sorts of things. And it's rem- and he put a put a line graph, and it's remarkable. Some of them are down maybe ten percent, five percent. Some of them are down twenty to forty percent. What happened to all those deaths? They don't exist. So until now, we've been talking about the coding of other deaths as COVID deaths because they tested positive. And I'm not moving away from that. There's a truth to that. There's an element of that. But, but what, what Michael Levitt, I think, was trying to say here, it opened my eyes to a very fascinating thought. To a certain extent, it could be that COVID did cure these diseases. I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek. Meaning that genuinely, these diseases are down. in term, Not that they're down, but the deaths from these diseases are down. But the idea is these people, even if they legitimately died of COVID, they were going to die within a month or two. They were going to die within a month or two. So this kind of took over the helm. It took over, this was God's choice, the the angel of death's choice of death for this period of time. It's striking. You look in Wales at influenza and pneumonia. It's down, I'm just, I don't have raw numbers, so I'm looking at a line graph here. It's down maybe, it looks like 40%. Again, some of that could be, you know, miscoding but something could be that covid did get them it did get them it was covid a legitimate covid death but they would have died of of respiratory stuff like that that's the people who died from respiratory there a certain amount this got them and people were gonna die that's what you're seeing and of course on a micro level we're pro-life we try to fight until the last day of life 
I'm a, a very strong proponent of that. We just did that recently with an uncle of mine. But in a macro sense, when you're studying this, and our ability to stop this in a macro sense, it's also somewhat comforting to know that the years of life lost, it's nowhere like the Spanish flu that they like comparing it to, where the median death age was 28. Remember, when you're talking about so many people dying 85 years old, remember, I I forgot, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but every year when you get past that, you have like a one in three chance of dying, not living out that year, just from anything. So it's like you could say like, you know, you know, you get to 85 years old, the fatality rate is like 5% from COVID. Big IFR. Okay, not 0. 0.1, 0.2, But your chance of not living out the year is 28, 30%. You know what I mean? Like, that it, it's a perspective. It's not a matter of saying, oh, they're old anyway. It's how, ah, yeah, they're going to die now. It, 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 it's, it's more profound than that. You could have someone who's older and whatever, but he lost 10 years of life from this. What I'm telling you is a lot of what's going on is, which is why a lot of these people, and, and I wish they, I wish we could get data on that. A good percentage of those who died in nursing homes were downright receiving hospice care they were receiving hospice care this is the perspective that's missing when you overstate the severity of something and you exaggerate every piece of bad news and don't talk about the good news you wind up foreclosing the good things and our ability to deal with it it's truly truly an astounding reality. And they're going to keep this for a threshold of nothing. Wait till the flu season comes. That's going to be the new panic. They're suddenly going to discover that kids die of the flu. Again, in small numbers, but larger than COVID. They're going to discover that. What are we going to do with this? You got to fight back. You can't assume an election's going to help. A lot of friends are like, oh, hopefully Trump will win. Now, look, put aside my opinion that at this point it's very hard for him to win, but let's say he does. Isn't Trump president now? I'm saying, what's going to change? <laughs> I'm a little bit confused. What exactly is going to change? This is where we are. You know, in light of this discussion, it's truly astounding if you just look at what D.A. Henderson talked about in his paper, co-authored with three other authors at Johns Hopkins, 2006. D.A. Henderson is the man that the New York Times says is widely credited for being responsible for the full eradication of smallpox. Very heavy hitter. Meaning when you're talking about epidemiology, like this guy would be in the top of the Hall of Fame. This guy's like, I don't know, Barry Bonds. You know what I mean? And they entertain masking and, and distancing and 
and lockdowns, they, they, they talk about this stuff. They, they posit such an, a theory for blocking flu-like transmissions. And they talk about the folly of it. And at the end, Henderson concluded the following. The problems in implementing such measures are formidable. And secondary effects of, of absenteeism and community disruption as well as possible adverse consequences such as loss of public trust in governments and stigmatization of quarantine people and groups are likely to be considerable. Experience has shown that communities faced with epidemics or other adverse events respond best and with the least anxiety when the normal social functioning of the community is least disrupted. Strong political and public health leadership to provide reassurance and to ensure that needed medical care services are provided are critical elements. If either is seen to be less than optimal, a manageable epidemic could move toward catastrophe. Because when you panic and you overstate what something is, you have second and third order effects and we're seeing this every day. Just look at Sweden. Not a single death today. There's a lot more going on. Um, I left a lot on the table today. I'm going to try to have some other guests. I am going to be out Thursday. I'll be here Friday. So a little bit of a short week. A lot of information to pack in. But again, guys, you got to get in in, in the face of your... your uh, county officials shove it back on them juxtapose it to the criminals being released while we're treated like criminals demand answers raise questions county council officials county commissioners county executive school board officials mayors you gotta get in their faces this is the only way it's gonna help if you think that this is going to help Well, I have Bill Gates' partial vaccine to sell you, along with a wet market in Wuhan. Folks, God bless you all, and thank you for listening. 